Last week, we spoke about injuries, wounds, and the long-term effects of hurricanes, and that all of us are broken in, so, in some way. And I hope that what we were able to do last week is to show you that, hey, none of us are perfect. We all have issues. We all have gone through things. We're all going to go through more things. Um, and we can be broken, but living with brokenness is a really hard way to live, okay? Living with brokenness is really tough. Fearfulness living in fear, living with a short fuse. I almost didn't say that. Living with a short temper, okay? Anger issues, low self-esteem, confusion of the mind, unhealthy habits, unhealthy relationships. Brokenness is no fun. Brokenness is hard to deal with. And you remember Chippy the parakeet, right? He got sucked in in the, in the vacuum cleaner. He got washed over under the faucet. And then they took out the hairdryer and blew him off. And he thought a hurricane had come through. That's kind of what it's like when you're living a broken life. Okay? So it's, it's not a fun thing. But I have something to say to us today. And I've got a few things. And the one th main thing I, that I want to say, I'm going to say it right now. We'll get it out of the way. You can dwell on it. <clears throat> we'll deal with it a little bit more later. But it's this. Whatever the storm you're facing, however you feel right now, however broken you may be, God has designed you so that you can recover, you can experience healing, and you can be restored. Can I get a yes on that? God has designed that. And the thing is, he's really, really, really good at doing just that. At restoring broken hearts, restoring destroyed families, restoring. See, God invented healing. Okay, I, I'm just going to do a, a little conversation with you because I don't know how to preach this, I just, but I want to say this. God invented healing, hope, and restoration. And some of you only thought that he, he created the mountains and the sea and the fish and all that. But he also created the human body, when experiencing overwhelming pain, to shut down. Did you know that happens in the body? Has that ever happened to any of you where you experienced overwhelming pain and you blacked out and you went unconscious? Okay. Do you know who put that system in order? God. He's compassionate. He cares. He made us that way. When the human body is cut or bruised, let, let's say you've, you've, you're at the, in the kitchen and you put your hand in the sink and you hit a glass and it breaks and you, and you cut your hand and, and, and blood runs out and, and all of this, God has put a, play, a system in place that makes the bleeding stop. Is this new to you? I mean, it's so simple. But I want you to get this. This is really, really important. He has a system in place. The blood has stuff in it, chemicals in it, that causes the blood to start clotting. And then as the blood clots and closes up the wound, the blood stops flowing. And then after a while, little fibrils crisscross, and they, they, they make up the, the gap, you know? And after a while, a scab forms on that, right? And after a while, the scab goes away and there's a scar there. 
Did you know God invented that system? Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, it's, a, it's a, absolutely a miracle. It's, it, it is a miracle how it works. Do you know why you can have surgery and recover from that? Because God put a system of healing in place. So that when that incision for your appendectomy or your tonsillectomy or whatever, it, it bleeds a while. It closes up a while. It's really sore. You know, when, when you get a cut like that, all, a, a bunch of stuff happens. Fluids rush to that site to help. White blood cells rush to that site to help. Uh, and, and it swells and it gets red. And it's all doing that because God's system has tr been triggered and it goes into place so that you can be healed and recovered. Has anybody ever heard of coping mechanisms in life? Well, you know, some people cope really, really well. Others, other people don't cope really well. But you know, the, the system that is in place when your kids are going berserk, you've told them to be quiet. They're not quiet. Then they spill something and you've got guests com coming. Uh, the, the brand new carpet gets messed up and, and your mind is doing this. And you've got to be able to cope with that. And there are coping mechanisms in our lives that God has given us so that we can deal with these crazy moments and to still live, live in comfort. So God has made a way for you to move past pain, to be healed, and to be restored. Now, I've got, a, I've got three questions today that I'm going to pose to you, uh, and here's the first one. After what I just told you, can you get it? Can you see that God has designed you to be healed and restored? Question mark. <laughs> Question mark. You get that, right? When you're texting, you say what you're going to say, and then you say question mark, period. Okay. Can you see that God has designed us to be healed and restored? Oh. I, I just want you to sit on that for a second. The systems that are in place in your life are remarkable. Whether it's a bum knee, whether it's surgery, whether it's an infection, whether it's a disease, whether it's an accident, whether it's a cut, a bad shoulder, a cut hand, whatever it is, God has designed you to get through the pain to go through the healing process and for things to get back to normal, whatever normal is, right? To get back to normal. And what I want you to get, and before we move on, is to understand those systems are in place in your life right now. They're in, your, in, in place in your life right now. You see, restoration is what he does. That's why Jesus came to this earth, was to restore mankind. Restoration is exactly what he does. And when I think about failure and the need for restoration, the person that I think about the most besides myself is the Apostle Peter. So today's message is about the Apostle Peter. I, I, he, was, his, he was something else. Yet he went through a terrible, terrible ordeal and he had a colossal failure in his life. He hurt others. He hurt himself. 
And it looked like his actions had ruined everything. He was an amazing guy with an amazing future who had an amazing failure who Jesus forgave who came back and had an amazing life again. And I want you to see this man called Simon Peter. Our, our failures do harm people. They hurt us. They set us back for sure. But God specializes in what seems impossible to us. He can take things that you think are impossible and turn them around and make them something miraculous. So I want us to look for a few minutes at this man, Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade and one of the original 12. He was a born leader, he was a strong leader, and he became the main leader to all of the Christian Jews of that day. When Jesus called Peter to, to follow him, he gave Peter a nickname, and it, and it wasn't Honey Bunch. His name was Cephas. And Cephas means the rock. Actually, it means part of the bigger rock, but it's the rock. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. Do you know who Jesus' inner circle consisted of? It was Peter, James, and John. That was, that was his inner circle. He was bold and he was brash and he was, he was willing to step out. And oftentimes he spoke before he thought. He did things, he said things before his mind really got, got going. Peter was famous for several things. He was famous for being at the transfiguration of Jesus. You know the story in the New Testament where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on this mountain. It's over in the Holy Land. That mountain's still there. And, um, and Moses and Elijah came and, and met with him there. And while he was there, he... He was transfigured. He was changed. His clothes started were shining or white. His face was shining. Everything was shining. And Peter, James, and John were there with him. And that was, that was an amazing, amazing thing. Peter is famous also for walking on the water to Jesus and for sinking and then for coming back out of the water. He, he is famous for having rebuked Jesus. When he thought Jesus wasn't being, seeing the positive side of something... He rebuked Jesus, and of course, this was a time when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. He called Peter Satan. I think that's kind of funny, don't you? He is famous for making a statement during the washing of the feet, when Jesus was going around washing the feet just before he was crucified, and Peter said, oh, you're not going to wash my feet, right? And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. He said, wash my feet, wash my hands, just wash me all over. He's famous for that part as well. And then he's famous for hitting a guy with a sword. The guy's name was Malchus, for all you Bible scholars, Malchus, M-A-L-C-H-U-S. Um, when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, he came out and he was kind of pumped up. He had his sword and he, and he hit a guy and cut off his ear. Jesus, of course, took the ear and did what any good Jesus would do. He healed him, right? He healed him. And when Jesus asked him the question, who do you say that I am? Peter was the one who made that famous statement and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Matthew 16. He wrote two letters that became part of the New Testament. He healed sick people. He raised people from the dead. He was so powerful in a lot of ways that the, the people of the area of that, of that region would would take their sick people and lay them on the 
curb, so to speak, so that just the shadow of Peter passing by would heal their people. That's who we're talking about, this guy named Peter, the apostle Peter, amazing, amazing man. And finally, this is the apostle Peter who, who was taken back to Rome and he suffered the same death that Jesus did of crucifixion, only Peter said, don't crucify me like Jesus was crucified, crucify me upside down. So they crucified him with his head down and his feet up in the air. He said, because I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. That is the apostle Peter. He sounds like a pretty amazing man. And yet, he broke. He broke and he needed to be restored. And his weakness showed up on the most important night of his life. And possibly the most important night in history. And you know the story. Are you okay? Take a time out here for a minute. Everybody good? All right. You know the story. Jesus was on his way to Calvary. He was about to experience a majorly horrible death. He was bound and held by captives by his own people. He suffered humiliation. They put the, the crown of thorns on his head and blood trickled down. They put a spear in his side. They hammered stakes into his hands and his wrists and his feet. He was beaten and finally he, he died. And during that night, that afternoon, his friends deserted him. The ones who said they would never leave him left. The ones who said they would suffer with him ran. And then there was Peter, the rock, sitting alone in a dark corner, weeping, I would imagine. This wasn't normal for Peter. He was the rock. He was the one who would jump out of the boat and walk on the water. This is the guy. Peter, he's the man, you know. It wasn't normal. He was, he was the, the strong one, the self-reliant one. He was bold and courageous. And now, he was completely undone, completely broken. The rock had been shattered into a million pieces. The strong, invincible Peter was whipped, completely finished. Why? Why would that man be brought down so low? Because he had done the unthinkable. He had done what he said he would never do. A hurricane came blowing through his life, and he had failed when it, it was his time to shine. Now, I don't know about you, but man, this hits home with me so much. Just when you think things, you got it, the tiger by the tail, you've, you've got everything lined up, a hurricane blasts through and something happens. And that's what happened with Peter. And just as Jesus told him he probably would, he denied ever knowing Jesus. Last Sunday, we baptized nine people out there, and one of the things I asked was, are you wanting to be identified with Jesus Christ? Will you be identified with Jesus from now throughout your whole life? And everybody said, yes, I will be identified with Christ. You know, that's what baptism is all about. It's a public statement of testimony. I will be identified with Jesus Christ. And in this case, I don't know, maybe his baptism didn't take too well. 
I don't know, maybe he just got sprinkled. (laughs) That was a joke. But now we see Peter distraught, embarrassed, sorrowful. And if Peter was ever going to be what he was supposed to be, something would have to change because now he's done. He's broken. He's, he's lost it. He, he, he doesn't have anything to add. He's, he's lost face. He's lost faith. Everything is like this, and he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. In this condition, Peter would be pretty useless. He failed. Everybody knew he failed. And he certainly did need to be restored. And here's my second question to you. Do you think the Lord wanted Peter to remain a failure? Think about that. Peter has now been knocked off his horse. Do you think God wanted Peter to remain a failure? To remain broken? After all, Peter, man, you had every chance in the world. we, We taught you right. We mentored you right. You saw Jesus. You were there when all this happened. How could you possibly have done that? Okay, that was your second question. We'll refer back to it. So Jesus goes to Peter. He knew Peter had to be restored. He knew where to find him because Peter, we always default back to our previous life. He went back to fishing. What what would you default back to? Hmm. But the story is is a good story, and I'm going to just talk you through the story. It's it's the first nine verses of, of chapter 21. Jesus had arranged this morning. The guys, seven, seven apostles, seven of the, of the twelve, had gotten together, and, and Peter said, don't know what to do. I'm going fishing. Cowboy, that sounds like a good thing. He's a good man. I'm going fishing. And these other six guys said, well, if you're going fishing, we're going fishing too. He was the leader, right? So they go out in their boat. They took a small boat, and they went out into the, the sea, and the Bible tells us that they fished all through the night like they normally would do. They'd cast out their net, they'd bring it in, they'd cast out their net, they'd bring it in, and they didn't catch anything. Night had come through, no fish. And about the time morning was breaking, Jesus came walking on the shore next to the sea. The guys were about 100 yards out in the water in a small boat. It was still dark, kind of starting to change with a little bit of the light changing everything. And uh, Jesus hollers out to them and says, Hey, guys, are you catching any?" Now, that's my way. He said, do you have any food? Hey, children. Hey, guys, friends. You got anything to eat out there? And they said, man, we, have, we don't have anything. We've been fishing all night, nothing. And Jesus said, well, if you'll cast your net on the right side of the boat, you'll have something to eat. And the Bible tells us that they took the net and they cast it on the other side and they drew up their net. And the net was so full of big fish that they could hardly even bring it into the boat. When that happened, John, who wrote this account, and I love the way he refers to himself. He doesn't call himself, John did this or I did that. He said, the one that was loved by Jesus. So the disciple that leaned upon the breast of Jesus. you know. And when John saw it, he, he poked Peter and said, Peter, that's the Lord. 
And Peter says, what? What? Get real. Are you serious? That, that was mine too. That, that was, they didn't talk like that. But he says, are you serious? And when he realized it was Jesus on the shore, he covered himself back up because he had been basically naked fishing with all the other guys. And, and he covered himself up and he jumped in the water. And what is that about Peter? Right? He jumped in the water. I, maybe he thought he was going to walk on the water. I don't, I don't know. That just, that just happened to me. That just came up. Maybe he thought he was going to walk on the water because Jesus let him do that before. So he runs to Jesus. The guys come in from the boat. And when they got there, this is where I want to read the scripture to you. And this is John 21, starting with verse 9. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Any idea, anybody know why he told us exactly the number of fish? Nobody knows, but it's there. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and dine. Come and eat. Come and fellowship. Come and be restored. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He was probably getting just a little ticked with him about that time. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to Peter, he said, follow me. Follow me. Can you imagine the scene? The seven fishermen in Jesus. It had been a week that had changed the world and these guys had failed the test. It had been a week of, to remember. It had been a week that that nobody could have fathomed, and these guys did not stand the test. I believe around the campfire that morning, they were pretty quiet, probably unsure of themselves, not knowing what to say, 
awkward, right? After all, they weren't proud of their actions. And Peter was probably wondering, what in the world is going to happen now? What is Jesus going to say to me now? What would Jesus say? Would he say, why, Peter? Why did you not stand up for me? Why, Peter, I can't believe you did that. Or, Peter, what a great friend you are. You know, when I needed you most, you weren't there. But Jesus didn't accuse him. I like that because Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. Satan is. Amen? Jesus is the comforter of the brethren, the helper of the brethren, the lover of the brethren, the feeder of the brethren. But Jesus didn't accuse. He just talks to Peter and he calls him by name. Now, he called him by his personal name. He didn't call him by his nickname this time. I think that's really interesting because Peter was anything but a solid rock at this time. He was a blubbering mess. Anybody ever been there? The storm hit and you're just a blubbering mess. Don't know what to do next. Don't know what to say next. But you know that if somebody's counting on you to be the rock... They better count on somebody else. Been there? Done that? I have. He didn't call him the rock. He called him Peter. But Jesus asked him, he says, Do you love me more than these? And when he asked that question, he said that referring back to what Peter said in the upper room. When Peter said, If everybody else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. If everybody else forsakes you, it ain't going to be Peter. If, if everybody else can just walk away from you, but I will die for you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me even more than these guys? And he used the word agape. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, you understand agape. Agape is the word for love, but it's, it's more than just uh, physical love is more than a friendship love. Agape love is a deep, devoted, lasting love. It's what God has for us. Devotion. And so he asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you, are you devoted to me? Do you love me deeply? And Peter answered him, and he says, Lord, we're buds. We're friends. He used a different word for love. He used the word phileo. The word that the, the Philadelphia comes out of that word. City of brotherly love. Okay? And that's what phileo kind of means. It's kind of like, and he says, Jesus, we're friends. You know? He, think about Peter in this. He was still, he was shaken. He, he, he was shaken to the core. He felt like everything was lost. He felt like there was no hope. And now he's having to face Jesus, the one that he betrayed. And Jesus says, do you love me with a devotion that is, that is deeper than the flesh and deeper than friendship? Do you love me deeper? And he, sa and he didn't know what to say. He says, but Jesus, you know, you know me. We're, we're, we're in this together. We're, we're friends. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, uh, Peter. Do you agape me? Do you love me deeply? 
Do you care for me more than life itself? Are you devoted to me? And Peter says, you know, Lord, you know we're friends. You you know that we're buds in all of this. You understand this. You're like a brother to me. And Peter was so unsure of himself. But Peter was being honest. This is real important. Peter was being honest. If you're going to come to a place of healthiness in relationship with God, you're going to have to do it in honesty. This means you've got to find a way to get into your prayer closet your private place where you speak with God. It can be under your breath. It can be out loud, but but somewhere you've got to be honest with God and with yourself. You see, we as Christians sometimes have a hard time being honest, don't we? Okay. How many of you are sleepy? (laughs) I got you, didn't I? All right. I've got a picture of that, by the way. You get that? Yeah. But we as church people, we have a hard time being, being honest. We put on the church face, and I'm not going to spend much, much time on this. Um, and we, we look the part, and people come in and pat us on the back, and we shake hands and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine too. And, and we're lying through our teeth because most of the time we're not okay. That's why small groups are so important. That's why you've got to be a part of a small group because on a Sunday like this when you get a whole room full of people, you don't have time to share your heart with each other. You don't have time to to deal with these kind of things. And you need to be in a small group so that you can encourage one another and, and love one another. So we as Christians sometimes are not honest, but restoration requires honesty with God. Was it a big deal that Peter denied the Lord Jesus? Yes, it was. But Jesus didn't want to let it just sit there and fester. He knew that the plan that he had for Peter would never take place if he did not restore Peter. You see, failure isn't a death blow. It's just a failure. So often, as, as, as Christian people, we think, okay, we failed. I'm done going to hell. I said this, and I had a bad attitude. Boy, if Jesus comes back right now, I'm done. That's not the way it works, guys. He's much bigger than that. And when we, and when we slip and fall, we do something that we shouldn't want to do, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict our heart and been, turns us over inside. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many times will he do that for you? He'll do that for you as many times as you need it. It's really, really important. Was it it a big deal? It was a big deal. But you know what? Jesus came so that he could defeat sin. He came that he could defeat death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you for forgiveness, and thank you for healing, and thank you for wholeness. 
Now Peter sees that his sin hasn't destroyed the relationship that they have for in his future. He's hurt. Peter's hurt. He hurt Jesus. He hurt the relationship. But it can be repaired. And the same goes in our lives. Sin hurts. Sin stinks. Sin is ugly. Sin hurts those around us. Sin hurts the church. Sin hurts our testimony. And it hurts God. But it's not the death blow because Jesus Christ already conquered death. He already conquered sin. He already conquered the grave. It does not make null and void the plan God has for our lives. And how does Jesus show that he truly forgives Peter? Except by entrusting something valuable to him. What could be more valuable than his sheep? And so, think about this. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three, right? How many times did Jesus ask him? About loving him? Three? I don't think it was a coincidence, do you? I for, what he's saying is, I forgave you, Peter, when you first denied me. I forgave you, Peter, when you next denied me and cursed. I forgave you, Peter, when you told that little girl that you didn't even know me. We serve a forgiving God. Amen? And he forgives Peter by entrusting his sheep to him. He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So Jesus hands over the responsibility for this part of the church to Peter. He disqualified himself from leadership. Did you, did you catch that? And Jesus restored him to a place of service. In our world today, and, and, and this is a, I, I want to say this gently and kindly, whether you're a United Methodist or whether you're a part of Church of God or whether you're first part of the Baptist, Southern Baptist Association or Presbyterians or whatever, in our church today, when a person has a failure, most all churches have systems in place for restoration. I think it's a grand thing. I think we need to do that. But did you know what? The touch of the Holy Spirit is the best restorer there is. If, if it had been our situation, the, uh, the council and the state bishop and all this would meet and say, okay, now this is the plan. In, in six months, you're going to have a talk with us. In a year, we're going to meet with you again. In two years, we're going to let you do this. And in three years, we will think about letting you preach again. And it's kind of like, I understand that. I really do. But Peter did the worst thing he could possibly ever do in life by denying Jesus Christ. And it was just a matter of a few weeks before Peter was back doing what he was supposed to be doing. And I thank God that God restores like that. He wants to do the same for us. Some of us believe we're too far gone. Hey, listen, we all fall. We all fail. The, the trick is just don't stay down. Don't wallow in your mess. Okay, you made a mess. Don't wallow in your mess. Get it up. If you spilled your milk, what would you do? You'd cry over spilled milk. 
you'd, you'd clean up the milk and you'd go get you another glass of milk, right? And sometimes we, we do this in the spiritual world. We mess up, we say things, we do things, we make bad decisions, we stop going, we stop being a part of, we stop this stuff, and we, and, and we wallow around in our sorrow and wonder, oh God, why do I have to go through this? God, why? Oh God, why me? Nobody ever knew what goes well, in my mind, nobody's ever had this happen to them before. Do you know what? There's nothing new under the sun, and what you're experiencing has already been experienced about a thousand times. Come on, get up. Get out of the mully grubs. Get out of the ditch. Quit thinking so poorly about yourself and start thinking largely of what Jesus can do in your life. It's not about you. It's about him. So let's make that shift in our thinking, all right? Sorry. I was fussing. So here's my third question, my last question. Do you think the Lord wants you to remain damaged, or do you think he wants you to be whole? Be whole. Okay, how many of you believe that God wants you to be whole? Okay, we got some guys back here on that row. They, they're, they're gonna, how many of you think that God really enjoys you being broken? Okay, question one was, do you understand how God has designed your life to be healed and restored? Do you understand that? It's built into your systems, into your body, into your mind, right? And this question here, do you think the Lord wants you to remain damaged or do you think he wants you to be whole? If you can, I want you to make a confession with me. I'm going to say this sentence. And then I, on the second and third and fourth time, I want you to say it with me, okay? God has designed me for healing and restoration. Say it with me. God has designed me for healing and restoration. Let it sink in just for a second. I, I'm not a big person about positive confession, but I do believe that sometimes our words have the power that we need to put us over the next hump. Say it again. God has designed me for healing and restoration. Does God want you to remain broken? No. Does God want you whole? Yes. Let's sit in. God has designed me for healing and restoration. Would you just praise him with me right now? Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you for that. We honor you, God. 2 Timothy 1, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some of you are dealing with confusion. Some of you are dealing with heartache. Some of you are dealing with mind issues. And I want you to know, God doesn't want you to battle that kind of thing anymore. He wants you to be healed of that. He wants you to be whole in your mind. In James chapter 5, the scripture says, Therefore, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God has designed me for healing and restoration. God has designed me for healing and restoration. And whatever you're going through, 
God wants you to get through it and to be restored. You hear? If we can somehow get this, that God wants us whole, God wants us healthy, God wants us full, He wants our life to be so, so great and so large and so shining that everybody that looks at our life, they see a reflection of God in our life. That's what He wants for us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So first, let's do this. Let's recognize our brokenness, our condition. I've, I've held on to things for decades that I need to release to the Lord. It's things that bring me heartache and things that make me not feel good and things that bother my mind. And I want to... I want to release that to the Lord today. First, we've got to recognize where our brokenness is, our condition. And secondly, we need to bring the condition to God. Then, let's look to Him for healing and restoration. And lastly, and this is the part that is, it just I, I have a hard time with. Let's forget the things which are behind And let's press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, the most difficult forgiveness you will ever have is not your friend or your spouse or your child or a neighbor. The most difficult challenge of forgiveness that you will ever have is forgiving yourself. The only way I know that you can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I, I can't do it enough. I can't get there enough. My mind is not strong enough. And the only way I know that I can forgive myself is to say, God, will you do it for me? Will you do it for me?